Part 3, The Future of Single Women. Traditionalists, or even some single women themselves, may view the psyches of those enjoying singlehood as a mystery. Is singlehood a temporary state or a permanent lifestyle? Would these women eventually get married and have children? If so, what could the government do to support them? Answering the first question is not as straightforward as people may assume, women are not a monolith, and social trends occur at a societal scale, encompassing many different viewpoints. A significant portion of single women expect marriage at later ages. Demographers predict that 80% of Americans will marry sooner or later. The New York Times reported that most people are merely postponing marriage as opposed to permanently abstaining from it. By delaying marriage, women are able to rack up savings in the early stages of adulthood, allowing them to raise their standards of potential spouses and romantic relationships. One example is the removal of designated gender roles within marriage. A more financially independent woman pushes men out of their traditional role as breadwinner. As such, modern men learn to be more independent. Many can clean their houses, iron shirts, and pack their luggage. Some married men have begun to invest their time and energy into their families, looking after their children, and taking care of the house. This shift is a big step toward gender equality. The phenomenon of marriage postponement has an unexpected side effect, saving the very concept of marriage. Plenty of studies show that late marriage and even marital abstention actually help improve marriage quality to a certain extent. States where marriage rates are low and late marriage is more common, such as New York, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Illinois, and Pennsylvania tend to have much lower divorce rates. However, in states where couples get married at younger ages like Wyoming, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Tennessee, divorce rates are relatively high. By getting married much later, people get to know themselves and their partners better. Relationships are never clear-cut. Some unmarried couples cohabit for years before eventually, or, in some cases, never, getting married. In 2008, a report found that nearly 30% of unmarried mothers live with their partners, with whom they are in committed relationships. There are a wide range of reasons behind this preference. The first and foremost is legal independence. These couples are just as committed and happy, without the restraint of social and legal expectations. Among the many women Traster interviewed, some turned down their significant other's proposals, some married early but divorced their partners for better pursuits, and some stayed single because they never met the right ones. Of course, even those who aren't fond of marriage make exceptions. A common case is women who married due to legal reasons such as securing health insurance for their partners. Regardless, people's attitude toward marriage has changed. In the concept of modern marriage, selfhood and freedom of choice are important components for romantic courtship. Not only can people choose whom to marry, but they can also decide when to get hitched. Women may have choices when it comes to marital structure and relationship styles. But there are limitations in terms of biology and reproductive decisions. One book written by an economist warns that women's ovum quality begins to decline beginning at the age of 27. Medical practitioners label women advanced maternal age at 35 or above. Statements like these have created a wave of panic and pushed women to start having, or at least strategizing, reproductive life plans in their 20s. And Friedman, who spoke of female friendship in part 1, said, We're well aware that we lose fertility at a certain age, but also that we lose professional power after we have kids. Another interviewee, Letitia Moreo, found out that she was pregnant after breaking up with her boyfriend at 35 and decided to give birth to the child.
she used to be a copy editor for Star magazine. During her maternity leave, she was paid half her salary. But when she returned to work, she found herself struggling to juggle her job and take care of a newborn, which ultimately resulted in her resignation. She found herself moving from one place to another, each time to a cheaper apartment. Her case shows that single women always have to think about the unfair drawbacks should they decide to bear children, from pay reduction, loss of chances at promotion, sick days and leave policies, even spaces to pump breast milk at work. This is precisely why some women opt out of childbearing. Elliot Holt, a novelist, does not have children because she hasn't met the right man to have one with. She states that it is an arduous commitment, financially and emotionally. At 35, she thought of having a child, but she has since come to terms with not having any. In fact, she even moved to where her nieces live partly to take on a maternal role while being childless. On the other hand, some women's decision to be child-free has nothing to do with the harsh reality working mothers face, it is simply by choice. Oprah Winfrey famously said in an interview, if I had kids, my kids would hate me. She understands that not every woman is made for, or wants to engage in, motherhood. For far too long, being a mother was believed to be a woman's true calling, a sole purpose necessary to make her life complete. Now, women like Oprah break those assumptions and the shackles of their presumed destiny. If a woman doesn't want to be a mother, she ought to have the choice to be child-free. The rise of new technologies has also changed the game for women. Those who feel pressured by their biological clocks, or society as a whole, but aren't ready for a child, can always turn to fertility clinics to freeze their eggs. Major companies in Silicon Valley like Apple and Face even announced that they would include the cost for egg freezing in their employee benefits packages. A more common and widely accepted social practice is adopting a child. When Amanda Neville was in her 30s, she adopted a deaf four-year-old Russian girl. She has never regretted her decision, saying, she is an amazing kid, loving and sweet and funny and I'm so glad the universe put us together. As we've mentioned, it isn't always possible to have children as a single woman. Many are forced into unfair decisions between work, financial or legal independence, emotional readiness, and kids. This brings us to the next concern. If single women choose to raise children but lack the ideal conditions to do so, what can the government do about that? In truth, the American government has been attempting to tackle the decline of those participating in marriage and the associated concern about a potential population crisis over the next few decades. The Bush and Obama administrations implemented the Healthy Marriage Initiative to promote the benefits of ideal family models, offering relationship advice to boost marriage rates. However, they didn't see much improvement. Perhaps governments shouldn't put the focus on the subject of marriage itself. Rather than fixing late marriage or marriage abstention, they should alter existing policies to fit the shifting social landscape. Instead of campaigning for marriage as a solution to every problem, lawmakers ought to provide social security and relieve the financial burden on married or single parents. This, in turn, would make having marriage or having children more attractive to more women. In terms of single parents, two writers at The Atlantic report that marriage privilege can be observed in almost every aspect of our lives. Single individuals tend to spend more on both necessities and luxuries without getting the tax breaks or insurance benefits available to married couples. While studying income tax policy, social security, healthcare, and housing costs, the writers found that single people paid or lost way more. Therefore, one could say that our societies are designed for married couples. 
single women have hurdles to overcome in terms of finance or parenting, and are in desperate need of beneficial policy changes. Finance-wise, the federal government's interference is needed to promote equal pay, promotion, and higher minimum wage, four two-thirds of minimum wage workers are women. On the subject of parenthood, there should be widely implemented, comprehensive education on reproductive care, as well as insurance or employee benefit plans that cover medical services at fertility clinics. That way, women who want children at some point in their lives won't be deterred by the cost. In addition to that, government-funded or subsidized daycare programs or paid family leave will help new parents who have to work or single individuals who have to look after their families. On that note, lawmakers also need to think beyond traditional heterosexual relationships and introduce singles-friendly policies. For example, removing the legal obstacles that make communal living difficult for unrelated adults. Alright, that is all for part 3, in which we discussed the various future plans that various single women have in mind. We also covered some concerns and potential solutions for future partnership and parenthood plans, both of which are greatly influenced by government policies and social security programs.